You are now listening to Bookish. The canon continues. The podcast that's dismantling the sacred secular divide with your host, Michelle Collins. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Bookish. The canon continues. I am your host, Michelle Collins, and I'm really, really super excited about the book we're going to talk about today. I'm also somewhat a little bit afraid I'm going to end up crying. Um, because I almost for sure I'm going to, I guarantee it. I mean, I read the prologue of this book and cried. So um, that should tell you a little bit about me and maybe a little bit about the book. Uh, but I'm really happy and excited to share today, uh, to share my microphone today with Laura Forehand. Um, Laura has been a somewhat newer friend, but I don't know. We've been on a lot of things together recently. So, um, but Laura, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Just go ahead and in true uh, bookish fashion, I'm going to have you give me a little bit of a back of the book bio about yourself. Okay. Hi, I'm Laura Forehand. And yes, I live in the state of Missouri. I'm actually a teacher and kind of started teaching late in life. So I started teaching when I was about 40. So oh. Uh, yeah. So only been teaching about 15 years. So that tells you how old I am. <laughs> I love it. I've taught first and second grade and love both those age levels. Um, I actually um, have a podcast, if you will, and Facebook page with my husband called The Desert Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Also help to facilitate a podcast called Too Many Podcasters. And yeah. I have one last podcast and it's totally for um, teachers or wannabe teachers who want to know more about the teaching style that I use, which is whole brain teaching. And we just started this podcast. It's called um, whole brain teaching the podcast. So that's okay. been a lot of fun to do. Ah. So, All right. Yeah. Now, I've heard you mention that a couple of times. And so just real quickly, because I definitely want to get to the book, but real quickly, I'm very curious what that means. Okay. What whole brain teaching is? Yes. Yeah. So we literally use your whole brain when you're teaching kids. So in fact, we even teach the kids the different parts of the brain. So we don't just lecture or I don't just lecture, but you're actually using gestures and movement and short teaching chunks so that kids Hmm. can echo that back to you. And then they, you know, they have a point where they're teaching each other. So it, I have noticed that has really helped with retention of information, not to mention especially in the time that we're living now with COVID and face mm-hmm. and our desks have to be, I think mine are about three and a half, four feet apart. Just getting kids to be up and moving has been huge mm-hmm. this year. So, so you're it, actually in the classroom then again. Yes, we are oh, actually okay. in the classroom. So for now, and I'll be honest, I kind of hope it stays that way as long as everybody can stay safe and healthy. Right. Um, you know, I've talked to some remote learning teachers and, and it's, it's pretty tricky to maneuver all of that, uh, virtual learning stuff. I would imagine, (laughs) I would imagine. And I've heard, I've heard from a lot of parents as well, the difficulty they're having, especially with multiple children, the different formats and, and, uh, um, oh, what is it? The, the different kinds of, I can't think of the word. I'm like platforms, the different platforms that are being used and they're having to interchange them. And yeah, lots Mm -hmm. of frustrations on both sides. I'm sure. Absolutely. Regarding yeah. just making sure children get educated. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, well, but we are here to talk about a book today, and it was a book you chose. Um, I had yeah. honestly, I, I will be very honest, I did not know who Glennon Doyle was. Well, I didn't either. <laughs> and it was only as I got about a third of the way through the book, I realized who who she was married to, and I went, oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I'm going to let you introduce the book and, and go ahead and, you know, the name and, and why, why do you think this book spoke to you? What is it about it that drew you to it that you wanted to discuss it? Yeah. So it, the book is called Untamed. And again, the author's name is Glennon Doyle. And I actually listened to Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. Mm. want to say that she was, if she wasn't the first person that Brene interviewed on her podcast, she was like second or third. So I had listened to that and it just, that interview just really struck me. It just really struck me. Um, for, for a lot of people that don't know my story, you know, my husband and I went, started going through deconstruction, um, of our faith or religion, if you will, um, a couple years ago. And I guess when I was listening to Glennon speak on the podcast, it just really hit me how, um, how tamed I have been Mm, um, (laughs) probably my whole life, but definitely as a pastor's wife. Oh, for sure. I would imagine so. (laughs) Yeah. And, and losing, losing that voice and that, that fire and that spirit that, you know, maybe at one point in my life I was trying to find, but that was definitely, um, in my experience, that was definitely squelched. Um, Mm -hmm. we were in the ministry and we were in the ministry for about 20 years. So, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's a slow, it's a slow process that that happens, but you know, you learn, or I should speak from my own experience, but I learned very quickly that, um, I was to be seen and not heard. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's a lot of women's experience just in general, but certainly within any kind of religious structure, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of been our conditioning, if you will. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to read just a, a short little part here of the, um, just the book jacket, the introduction, you know, like that little synopsis. And I thought this was a great introduction to the book. It says, there is a voice of longing inside each of us. We strive so mightily to be good, good partners, good daughters, good mothers, good employees, and good friends. We hope all this striving will make us feel alive. Instead, it leaves us feeling weary, stuck, overwhelmed, and underwhelmed. We look at our lives and wonder, wasn't it all supposed to be more beautiful than this? Mm, And I swear to God, that just makes me want to cry. I think just reading that little bit right there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, can I just share, like, that's one thing when I'm talking to my students, let's say we've had a behavior issue and I'm talking to them afterwards and I'm, and I talk to them about like, well, what, what are some different choices that you need to make? And their first response almost always is, I just need to be good. Mm. And I say, you're already good, mm. ready, good. And I think that is so poignant that she, that she pulls that out at the very beginning or in the, in the book jacket, yeah. because, you know, what does good even mean? And well, right. It's subjective. <laughs> yeah. And when did we, you know, when did we decide or when did the world tell us that we weren't good? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she kind of goes into that in the very beginning yeah. of the book. Of course, she mentions um, the story of Adam and Eve, uh-huh. you know, and that pretty much the, the entire fall of mankind is placed on the shoulders of Eve. Yes. And, and, and you know, I used to, of course, believe that story was, you know, uh-huh. a factual story that it actually happened. I don't necessarily believe that anymore. I believe it's allegorical, mm-hmm. um, but it is indicative of how women are viewed, certainly as it has been 
shared over and over and over down through the years, you know, that the fall of mankind is on the shoulders of Eve, that woman was responsible. And so to make up for it, of course, not only did she have to endure pain and childbearing, but now she also has to go forward and be this meek, mild creature who is at the whim of the man in her life right? You know, or the men in her life in, t- in some fashion. And uh, I was thinking about that earlier and it kind of made me laugh a little bit um, because I did believe that for so many years. Mm-hmm. And of course now I, well, I've always been pretty mouthy. I've always had a really hard time fitting into that mold. Um, but I'm even more so now, but it made me kind of laugh. And I just wanted to say real quickly, and I know I probably should have already said this, but I know this episode sounds like it's a, it's a, for women, but I would disagree mm-hmm. and say as a man, you should be super interested in this episode. And here's why for years and years and years, I've heard the joke that men have wanted a handbook, if you will, for women mm-hmm. so that they could understand them. Well, I'm going to say that if you pick up this book and you read it, voila, you have been, uh, you have garnered entrance into the very thoughts of women at the deepest, most intimate levels of what we're truly feeling and experiencing. And if you want to understand us and you, you want to connect with us deeper, this is how you do it. Absolutely. Um, And I believe she has written to that level. I think Uh, so too. In fact, Carl was, you know, I, I actually got the audio book. And me too. <laughs> as I was listening to it, um, Carl was right there with me listening. Mm. He was interjecting and, you know, agreeing and asking questions. So I, I agree with all of that. Plus, it yeah. opened dialogue, you know, and it, and in a way, it, it also forced me to really contemplate um, the things that she was saying. And then as Carl would ask me questions, you know, um, figure out what my truth was exactly. in all of this. So yeah, not what's the expected uh, response, right? But what is, what is truly your response? Exactly. Yeah. And, and all too often we, we defer to that expected response and we do it almost subconsciously. Absolutely. Uh, there's not a whole lot of thought, you know, and, and of course you and I were both involved in a conversation yesterday and your, your husband was as well in which he talked about mindfulness or being in the moment. And, mm-hmm. and I think that, comes to bear in this, in this situation that we as women, if we would take that moment to just be there and to know what those emotions are that we're feeling and express ourselves from those emotions, that it would be a much more honest dialogue. Um, Absolutely. And and, and a much more productive and fruitful dialogue. Yes. And she talks about that so much in the book. She talks about the knowing and I absolutely love that, that that knowing is deep inside of us and we have to be still and we have to really, you know, sink deep in order right. to find the essence of that knowing that is in us. Right. I, and, you know, it's interesting. I know you and I kind of chatted a little bit before we started recording. And I told you we'd probably bring this back up. And so I'm, I'm going to bring it back up. Um, for anybody that thinks that possibly this book is something that would be very dense and hard to read, nothing could be further from the truth. It's right. very light. It's very quick. The chapters are very small and one and two pages. But I was uh, I was telling my husband earlier this morning, I told him I was getting ready to record. And I said, this is going to be a difficult book for me to discuss. And he said, why? And I said, not for the general reasons, not because it's some thick theological, you know, stick in the mud kind of wade through it difficultly kind of book. It's not that at all. I no. said, but what it is, is it's almost as though she's wielding a very small knife. 
And in these very short, small chapters, in a very quick one or two sentences, it's almost like a quick jab that's, that cuts you and you're like, oh, yeah, that. And, and, and it just is incredibly emotional, especially mm-hmm. as a woman who has probably, and I know, I'm guaranteeing you, my husband listens to the, he might disagree with the statement, <laughs> but especially from a woman who has muted herself so incredibly much for the majority of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anybody that knows me would go, yeah, I don't think so. You have no idea <laughs> uh, I, I believe how much I have muted myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to start because as I mentioned, the prologue, I like seriously cried in the prologue. That's that's mm-hmm. how much it, I thought, oh boy, this sets the tone for this whole book. <laughs> right. Um, but she, she shares a very quick story about going to the to the zoo with her kids. Right. And seeing, uh, was a cheetah named Tabitha. Yeah. And she talks about how the cheetah had a friend that was a dog. It was a Labrador. And of course, you know, the handler was chatting this all up with the, with the people there and, and how the kids were all yelling. Yes, they had a Labrador. And so she explained what was going to happen. Um, you know, that the, the dog would run the course first and then the cheetah would watch and then the, the cheetah would then do it. And the, that she had to chase this little, it was a bunny, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. A, yeah. a little, yeah, a little ratty bunny, stuffed mm-hmm. bunny. And at the end of it, instead of getting the bunny, she got a steak, which actually sounds like a really cool thing. Right. Except um, she's, Glennon talks about it. She watched it by the time she got done watching the cheetah perform, basically. Right. Uh, she felt sick to her stomach mm-hmm. and she called it the taming of Tabitha. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And then yeah. she goes on and she says, um, I watched Tabitha gnawing the steak in the zoo dirt. And I thought day after day, this wild animal chases dirty pink bunnies down the well-worn narrow path. They cleared for her, never looking left or right, never catching the damn bunny settling instead for a store-bought steak and the distracted approval of sweaty strangers. Mm. Obeying the zookeeper's every command, just like Minnie the lab, she's been trained to believe she is. Unaware that if she remembered her wildness just for a moment, she could tear those zookeepers to shreds. That makes me want to cry all over again. Right. Because just the amount of of detail given in that, that, that she's chasing something that she's been programmed to chase first and foremost. Down a path that's been cleared for her that's specific, that she never gets to deviate from. Right. Only for the approval of people that she has no idea are even there. And and how disturbing that visual is when you yeah. compare it to maybe our lives. <laughs> I'm that's yeah, I'm sitting here in my like my chest is getting heavy because, yes. because <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, that parallels so much of my life. Yes. Mine as well. And, 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 and it's disturbing. <laughs> yes. Yes. The thing is too, is that, you know, even after reading this book where, where I feel like there's parts of it that have truly, um, helped me to liberate those areas of my life. I still feel like, you know, there's always that shadow of yes. you no know, performance or, yeah. Um, you know, going down the path that has been, you know, that society or family or whatever has chosen for me to go down. And exactly. yeah, so I wonder if that's where that heaviness is still coming from. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I, I it may be a lament as well. I mean, I know for me that it makes me sit back and lament the mm-hmm. times in life that I've allowed that to happen rather than to just be who I am. 
Yes. Um, but always afraid that if I showed people who I actually am, that they would back up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those little catches you're hearing are me trying not to cry. <laughs> if anybody's catching that, I'm trying so very hard to not let it sound in my voice. But um, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to finish this uh, this prologue up. She she goes on to say, because um, her daughter said something about about the the cheetah, mm-hmm. uh, and she because they put the cheetah away, and she said her daughter was watching the cheetah pace back and forth yeah. in front of the fence, and that she was looking like with a faraway look in her eye. And her daughter said, um, she's wild again, or she's turned wild again. And she said, um, that she, Glennon sat there and wondered if she could talk to Tabitha, what would be happening inside Tabitha right then? If she could read her thoughts. And she said, I knew what she'd tell me. She'd say, something's off about my life. I feel restless and frustrated. I have this hunch that everything was supposed to be more beautiful than this. I imagined fenceless, wide open savannas. I want to run and hunt and kill. I want to sleep under an ink black silent sky filled with stars. And it's all so real. I can taste it. She'd sigh and say, I should be grateful. I have a good enough life here. It's crazy to long for what doesn't exist. And I'd say, Tabitha, you're not crazy. You're a goddamn cheetah. Yeah. And oh my God, I, I literally put the book down at that point and just cried for a few minutes. Right, Because I thought, how often have we defined ourselves into this corner and said, I should be happy with what I have. I should be content. And yet there's something inside of us that screams for something else, for For more. Right. Right. For what we were destined to be, for that wild part that's inside of us that be free. And for reason is, is not for, you know, whatever reason we have contained that we've caged that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned uh, deconstruction a little bit ago. I swear to God, my whole life comes back to that subject, but um, <laughs> at the risk of annoying people that are hearing about it, um, you know, I, it's the same thing. There's a lament there. Yeah. There's a lament for the time that you've lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all of the things that you should have experienced that you didn't because you were locked into some invisible cage, so to speak. Right. Right. And that the door was always open. You just didn't know it. You didn't know it. And, yeah. Or you were afraid to step through it, you know, in all honesty. Right. That, that right. Or, or like, like Tabitha, you know, you were afraid of the comments from, you know, the onlookers. Um, right. Or their opinions of you or right. whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, it's a it's a frustrating place to be, and of course, there hindsight being twenty twenty, we mm-hmm. could sit and we could sit in that space of sadness for what we've lost, the time that's been lost, or the opportunity lost. But that really changes nothing, right? And I think she does a very good job as she goes on through the book, showing that it's time to step into what you want. It's time to step into the avenues that appeal to you, right? Instead of staying stuck where you are and just feeling sad that you're not who you want to be. Right. One thing she said, she has different keys in her book. And one thing that she said that I wrote down, it was in key two, which is called be still and know. She says, when a, when a woman finally learns that pleasing the world is impossible, she becomes free to learn how to please herself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think unfortunately, for a lot of women, certainly not all, but for a lot of us, 
it, it takes quite a few years into our life before we kind of start figuring that out. Maybe it's that midlife time where you really kind of slow down, your children are grown and you kind of look around and go, okay, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What has happened here? <laughs> right. You know, and then of course you are accused of having a midlife crisis and you just need to wait it out and it'll all settle back in. And what they mean yeah. by that is you'll settle back into the expected norms and you'll live the rest of your life, you know, the way you're supposed to, the way we've defined it for you. Right. And I can't think of anything sadder than that. Sadder. Yeah. That was exactly the word I was going to think of. Yeah. It's, it's so demoralizing. <laughs> it is. And, you, you know, I think it's so, I don't know about you, but I just feel like it's so subtle. It's so, you know, it's almost, and maybe it's just because, you know, that's, we treat boys and girls different from the get go. Yeah. Oh, but, for sure. You know, I just, I feel like, like when I was reading this book, I thought, how in the world did I get to this point? Right. <laughs> you know, like I couldn't think back to a specific, oh, you know, instance where I was just like, okay, that, you know, I just started locking everything down and caging everything up or, or whatever. Right. It, it really, I feel like it was just incredibly subtle, maybe, maybe throughout my entire life. I don't, I don't know. Well, I think that's true. I I think that you, you know, it's a dramatic word, but the programming, if you will, it starts when we're young, Yeah, when we're very small children. And she actually tells a story in one of her chapters about that when she, her daughter kept stealing her shampoo and she went to the bathroom to find the shampoo into her children's bathroom. And -hmm. she said there were like 21 bottles of different shampoos or, you know, conditioners or body soaps or whatever sitting Mm -hmm. in there. Said it struck her very quickly that there was a very big difference in the marketing or the packaging of those, depending on if it was for her son or for her daughter. Mm -hmm. And she said she realized how quickly girls were were programmed to be meek and mild and pretty. And guys were, she said, you know, all of the verbiage on on her son's stuff sounded like it was training him to go to war or something. Right. You know, and how how much we have prescribed these gender roles Mm -hmm. uh, and said this is the correct way for you to function and to act never understanding that each one of us is different and maybe we're some combination of those. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So do you, do you have daughters, daughter-in-laws, sons? How do you I have two daughters and two sons and I have a daughter-in-law and two sons-in-law. So how do you feel like when you're raising your daughters, like thinking back to what we've been talking about, like Mm -hmm. how do you feel that um, that was interpreted when you were raising your daughters? Oh boy, that's a rough question. I mean, I, I want the answer to be that I raised them to be who they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that in all honesty, um, I have seen evidence now that they're older and things that they've said and told me that they very much fit themselves into a prescribed norm as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they had a little more freedom. I'd like to believe they had a little more freedom. My daughters were very much tomboys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were beautiful. And as they got older, you know, I would remember them coming home from camp. And one of the activities that they always did while they were at camp was paintball. And my daughters loved it. And they would not wear the protective gear. So they would come home with welts all over their bodies, like bloody gross welts, almost like badges of honor. And, and they actually were very incredibly happy about that. They were like, yeah, we were tough. We handled it. And, and at first, you know, you're, I'm impressed by that because I'm like, wow, I mean, that takes some guts and some fortitude. But on the other hand, I'm like, 
what were you trying to prove? I have to ask the question. And that question didn't occur to me until they were older, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but I look back at it and I think, I hope, I hope that I allowed them to be who they wanted to be, but I can see evidence that, yeah, I probably fell into the same traps that my parents did and their parents before them. So I don't know. What about you? Was your experience? Same thing. I'm like thinking back, you know, and, and of course I have one son. So there were a lot of times, you know, where the the girls will be rough and tumble with their brother and things right. like go out and play mud football. And, and when you were talking about the paint gun, uh, situation, you know, when, I don't know, around here, when you have like post-prom, you do fun things like, right. Oh, you know, or whatever. And so I, I do remember my daughter, Abby, coming <laughs> home, those welts on her bruises yep, yep. And, and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like, um, as, as Abby is raising her daughter and soon to be two daughters, I just, I feel mm-hmm. like something different about her. There's almost like this, um, like what Glennon shares in her book, this, this let, let my you know daughters be the cheetahs that they were supposed to be right. or that there's, that they're meant to be whatever that is. And I don't know if that's, um, a generational thing because I feel like you, I did not necessarily raise her that way. Right. I, Again, we were, you know, in the, in the crux of, of ministry and stuff. So there was always that, okay, well, we can, we can be this way inside our house, but in public, you know, right. (laughs) Be a certain way and look a certain way because, um, the crowd will be talking. So, yes. Well, in ministry, of course, yes, you're under a much bigger microscope. Um, and obviously much more open to, you know, some negative feedback yeah. if you're not prescribed, if you're not living to those prescribed norms, especially exactly. as it pertains to the Christian mindset, you know, the very rigid conservative, um, right. mindset. And if, if I understand your background correctly, you're, you kind of came from the same background I did. It was conservative, very mm-hmm. evangelical, right. um, certain expectations. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it, I, I don't know, I kind of look back at that and, and it's funny because I, I mean, I've been very open about this for years now, but I never fit into that role easily. Um, and, and instead of just being who I was, I often ended up apologizing over and over for who I looked like, um, you know, and, uh, there's always a woman that comes to mind. She's a very dear friend of mine. I love her to death. Um, but she always looked to me like the perfect Christian woman. She was very meek, very mild. She was little too. And she, she just always seemed so, you know, her job was to support her husband. She, her job was to pray for her husband and to be quiet in church. And I watched all of that and I thought, that's what I'm supposed to look like. And for the life of me, I can't pull that off. <laughs> I have, I have a foul mouth. I have a loud abrasive laugh. I have, you know, uh, a stern face. Every emotion I feel shows on my face. I couldn't be meek and mild if my life depended on it. And so over and over, I would apologize to God that I wasn't who he wanted me to be, which oh seems so ridiculous. Because yeah. if I was who God wanted me to be, wouldn't he have made me that way? <laughs> well, exactly. And I feel like the book kind of talks about that too. Yeah. That we need to be who, I mean, if we were meant to be something that we're not, God would have created us that way. Exactly. <laughs> not, he wouldn't have created us though, or she wouldn't have created us. The, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> Sorry. Look Sorry. at Laura throwing bombs on Sunday morning. I went there already. That's all right. I'm good with it. <laughs> but um, you know, 
yeah, we are who we are. And there's, there's purpose in that. There's purpose for sure. Yeah. I don't know. She makes the comment though, that our sons and our daughters are still being shamed out of their full humanity. Mm. Uh, and that's in that story with regard to the bath or the, you know, the shampoos and stuff, mm-hmm. but she's like, uh, she, they're being shamed out of their full humanity before they even get dressed in the morning. Oh, and then, yeah. so those are those subtle things. Like nobody would stop to think, Oh, the, the way I, the shampoo bottle I just bought is going to help program my child with the way I think they should be. Nobody thinks that. Right. Yeah, I mean, advertisers may think that, I don't know, but <laughs> for the most part, as a parent, you're not buying your shampoo based on what you think your child should look like when they're an adult. I mean, that's just exactly. not going to your head, but yeah. subtly you are, <laughs> you you are creating an expectation with that. And it's just kind of heartbreaking. Um, it really is, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, it, yeah. there's so much here. It's, it's so difficult to even condense this down into what we should talk about into talking points. Cause there's just so much, like I said, there's like, there's just a thousand little cuts here. <laughs> I do feel like that reading this book though, at least makes you aware of those things and yeah. start that journey to being, you know, the authentic person you were created to be. And then also looking at those around you as yes. a more authentic version of who they're supposed to be. Right. I feel like it, first of all, I feel like the book really talks about, you know, it, it helped me examine myself, but then it's also helping me examine other people. Like when you were talking about, you know, you're being, you, you find yourself as being abrasive and laughing really loud or, and you don't fit into that mold. And, and I sat here as you were saying all that going, you go, girl. I mean, you <laughs> awesome. And, you know, I will be honest with you, probably, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought, course, yeah, yeah, we, yeah we, we should probably be more submissive and yes. Lent and all this other stuff. And now I'm learning to embrace those things that are in other people that may not look like me, probably don't look like me. Right. Beauty nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, the me of now cringes about the me of like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I literally preached things on submission. So oh. <laughs> well, I, I was all the while all the while knowing inside of me I was not a submissive person. Right. That yeah, I was the I was the pastor's wife sitting in the front row when those those sermons were, you know, preached going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, <laughs> and knowing that's not really, you know, that I'm I'm like Italian and Irish and I can have a very fiery yeah um way about me and so kind of you know put, putting that in a corner was actually pretty detrimental to I would say my marriage at times yeah, my as well times because I would I would you know push those things down in me instead of like if I was upset about something just saying it and the longer you push things down, you know, it's going to come out sideways. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, usually people were looking at me like, what just happened? You just like left a bloody trail. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than just, you know, be, be the real me all the time. And then we don't have to worry about those right. things fully. So, well, I think that brings up, you know, uh, something that comes to mind as you were saying that, you know, uh, to, to give, to give others their due, I would have to say, I think it has to be very confusing for men 
Yeah. Uh, I'll say this in general. It has to be very confusing for men in general uh-huh. when their wives have behaved a certain way their entire marriage. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly they're like this different person. Like, right. I know it has to confuse my husband. Like, although he knows, I mean, I had a temp, he's known I've had a temper my whole, our whole marriage. We've been married mm-hmm. for 32 years. If mm-hmm. he, if he missed the temper early on, he wasn't paying attention um, <laughs> because he was most often the victim of the tempers. So. <laughs> um but, but the point being like, there were things that, you know, I never would have pushed back on before where now I'm like, no, hold on. And yeah. no, we're not going to agree on that. I refuse to acquiesce on that. And so I think there has to be a sense of, of, uh, disorientation yeah. for them at some point, like what is happening here? Hold on. Wait right. a minute. <laughs> yeah. That's not how this has always worked out. So I, I kind of give them a little bit of mercy and leniency that way, like, as they're struggling to figure out how to work with this new personality that it seems they've suddenly found themselves attached to. Exactly. Um, and, and you, so you're right. If we had just been who we were all along, then, then that wouldn't be happening. Um, although that makes it sound as though I'm blaming us and I'm not, I'm really not. <laughs> right. Right. I, I'm just, I'm just trying to see things from their perspective as well. And, and to give a little bit of mercy there. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. But I, you know, I, and, and maybe this is a good time to kind of bring up Glennon's story in this book. Um, she, she really had to step out of her prescribed norms. Yes. Um, she was, of course, married. She had, I think, three kids. I think three, yeah. Yeah, and she was very well known on the Christian author circuit. Um, she had written a book that was just about to come out, and she was getting ready to do... Um, not this book. It was a different book, but she right. was getting ready to do like, you know, her little book tours and the speaking engagements and whatnot. And in the midst of that found out that her husband had cheated on her again. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. not even the first time, like there was multiple times and she right. was in therapy. So she was trying to work with a therapist and with her husband to actually repair their marriage. And she said she kept trying to live within that realm and knew that it was not going to work. Right. And she just was not being honest with herself. And so ironically, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I didn't know who it was she's married to. And I'm not talking about her husband. I'm talking about who she's married to now. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it hit me. She's, she's married uh, to Abby Wombat. Mm-hmm. Abby yep. Wombat back, I think. I can't pronounce her name. Anyway, uh, who is, of course, a very well-known female soccer player for United States soccer and actually one of my favorite players in all honesty, because I love her brash attitude on the field. This is a woman I watched play and she would come off the field bleeding and they would take her out of the game and she'd be pissed off. I'm not done playing. I can play with a broken leg. She was that kind of player. Wow. And I love that kind of tenacity. Uh And so all of a sudden I'm reading Glennon's book and she's talking about meeting Abby for the first time. And she just calls her Abby. She doesn't say who it is. And all of a sudden I went, oh, I know who this is. <laughs> she's married to Abby Wombat. <laughs> but so she really came out of very much her prescribed roles. Yes. I mean, here she was married as, you know, as a wife of a man, a mm-hmm. mother of three children, a Christian author. Right. And she had to step out of a lot of those prescribed roles and say, that's not who I really am. This is who I really am. And I can still be a good author. I can still be a good mother. I can still be a good wife. It's just going to look a little different than how it's looked previously. Yes. Yes. And I I have to applaud that kind of temerity. I mean, that's, that's a lot of guts. That is is a lot of guts. I mean, really, she, like you said, she just came out of everything that was, was prescribed or was 
the the norm of the day and right and totally became her authentic self and was true to herself. That's huge. Yeah, and and I I honest I honestly cringed um at the story because she talks about the fact that she went and talked to her therapist to tell her I'm going to divorce my husband mm-hmm. and I'm in love with somebody else and it's a woman and her therapist of course told her this is never going to work this is right. a mistake which by the way is a little bit out of the realm of the therapeutic role I think but <laughs> um, I, I, I would ha- I would hazard a guess that maybe she was seeing a Christian therapist and so possibly that's my Probably. guess I don't know that she didn't yeah. say that but. Um, but you know, how, how hard it was to chafe against that and, Mm -hmm. and to still stand up and say, yeah, I'm still going to do this. Um, but she told a a short story. I don't know if, do you remember the hot yoga story? Um, she had a friend that took a hot yoga class and had never taken one before. And of course they were sitting in the room before the class started. And her friend said to her, she goes, it's really hot in here. And then the instructor comes in and she says, Hey, this is a hot yoga class. You know, don't leave. Um, you need to be strong. You need to stay here. I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but you can do it. And her friend actually was, she felt lightheaded. She felt sick. It was getting harder and harder to be there. And the moment they ended the class, her threat, her friend ran out of the classroom and into the bathroom and she was violently ill. And she said, while she was on her hands and knees, wiping up her own puke, she had this thought, what is wrong with me? Why did I stay and suffer? The door wasn't even locked. Oh yeah. I do remember that story. Yes. And it made me think of her situation with her marriage here. She was married to a man here. She's a Christian woman and wife who's writing about finding your love and, and finding this happiness in marriage. And her husband's cheating on her repeatedly Mm -hmm. and the door wasn't locked. And yet she felt locked into that situation. Right. And in all reality, if we're going to stick to very conservative Christian values, she actually had the biblical backing to say, I'm done here. You're right. Cheated on her. Yes. But yet she still felt that, that cage around her and the door wasn't even locked and it took her a while to figure that out. And, and I think that that's a lot of, that's a place where a lot of us find ourselves, not necessarily with regard to infidelity and things like that, but certainly in locked into a role that no one is making us stay in except yes. our own expectations yes. or our, and our fear of other people's expectations. Our fear of other people's expectations. Yeah. Yes. More, probably more so than that, than anything that, like that. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think that's where I, I struggle the most, even, even still. And I feel like I've made lots of growth, but I feel like that is something I still think, you know, about, although the reason I love this book is because I feel like there's so much truth in it and it causes me to take that moment to sit when I'm having those, those feelings about, well, what are other people thinking about me in this right. situation? And really like asking myself now, is this really the, really the truth of my being um, right? or the truth about me? And um, so I have appreciated this book for giving me that but you're so right. Like there are so many things that we feel like we're trapped in and yet the door is not locked. We, we do have, you know, we do have that way out. Right. Uh, yeah, really. I, I'm glad you brought that story up that that was a very powerful story. 
Well, it's, it's about recognizing that we do have a measure of control, if not complete control. I mean, we can't, of course, control other people's reactions to us, but we certainly have the ability to control and to choose what we do or do not do. Right. Uh, it's so funny. I, I've been struggling. I know people are tired of hearing about this too, but whatever. <laughs> it's my life at the moment. That's right. um, <laughs> uh, of course I'm getting, I'm, you know, bodybuilding and I'm getting ready yeah. for, com- for comp- competition. Mm-hmm. And I have taught myself the last week has been very, very t- uh, tough on my self-esteem. Um, and it's quite honestly the opposite of what it should be I, I, because I'm getting better and leaner and fitter. It should be that I should be feeling better. And so for some reason, it seems to be the opposite for me. Um, and so I remember getting ready to go to the gym this week and I, I've gone from going to the gym several years ago and making sure that my hair looked okay and my makeup was okay and that I was dressed, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, now not caring if my hair is a mess. I don't need makeup on. I'm going to sweat it off anyway. Um, right. you know. Like, wearing what I want to wear. And for whatever reason this week, I went to put a shirt on and it says the front of my shirt said goal weight, sexy as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And I put it on and I literally started to walk out and then I went, Oh, I shouldn't wear this shirt. God, this seems very egotistical. I don't know that I want to say that. What will other people think? And I had this whole like mental breakdown in my room over a stupid t-shirt that I was going to go sweat in. Yeah. And finally I was like, you know what? Screw this. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I need that message for me right now. <laughs> so whatever. I'm going to the gym in this shirt. And I did. And I did feel awkward a few times, but then I was like, whatever. It doesn't matter. And I've done that repeatedly this last week, a few different times where I started, I, I caught myself thinking, oh, I wonder what somebody will think about that. And then I went, oh, who cares? Like, I don't, why do I care? <laughs> yeah. Well, why, and am I, why am I bogging myself down with the, the emotions of other people? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and she talks so much in this book about just being really true to your knowing. Yes. When you, oh, I had that written down somewhere. I'm going to try to try to say it kind of, correctly, <laughs> but I'm definitely paraphrasing. But, you know, she talks about that if you're, you know, the, the definition of bravery is not doing something because, you know, you do it because you're scared. It's like really doing it because it's true to who you are. Right. And I actually have that right here in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> I have but it. I have that highlighted right here in front of me. Uh-huh. It's Can you when, read it? Yeah. It's when her daughters got their ears pierced. Do you remember the yes. story? And her youngest one, who is absolutely fearless, did it, wanted them both done at the same time, squeezed uh-huh. her eyes closed, dealt with it, moved on. And her older daughter, who's more quiet, said, I whispered to her, I'm not sure I want to do this right now. And right. of course her little sister and the person doing, you know, the piercing was like, Oh, just be brave. You can do this. And she talks about that. She says, I don't think brave means what we've been saying. It means, mm-hmm. um, we tell our children that being brave me- means feeling afraid and doing it anyway. But is this a definition that we would want them to carry as they grow older? And then she, she comes down later and she says, brave means living from the inside out Brave means in every uncertain moment, turning inward, feeling for the knowing and yes. speaking that out loud. Oh. Is that the one you were talking about? Yes. 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 It's, it's beautiful. And it's so funny. I had that open. That was one of my next quotes to talk about. So. Oh, yay. I, I loved it. Like I wrote it down. I was like, <laughs> you know, listening yep. to the book, like two words, pause, write it down. Two words. Yep, I know. <laughs> and like, that is well, too- I, because because like even raising our girls, 
we would, you know, we had one that was more adventurous than the other. And we would be like, you know, so we would always say, be brave. Right. Like that, be good. You know, it's. it's Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very subjective. And what does that actually mean? Sometimes that means not going along with the crowd. Absolutely. And standing for what you know is best for your soul, you know, rather than, you know, and I think, didn't she talk about, um, like, I wouldn't want my daughter to be at a party and yes, it's getting drunk and she gets in a car because somebody told her to be brave. Don't be scared. You know? Right. And yeah. That was her example of, I don't think you've thought this out. Right. <laughs> exactly. To a conclusion as to what that might mean as they got older. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else. I've said that to my kids. I've actually defined bravery that way. I do yeah. things even though I'm afraid. Um, and on one hand, I can still agree with that definition, but yes, if we take it out to that natural conclusion, it's not necessarily the best definition all the time. Right. And, and she goes on in that same, that same, uh, section or chapter, if you will, she said, your business is to stay loyal to you. That Mm -hmm. way you always know that those who do like you and love you are really your people. You'll Mm -hmm. never be forced to hide or act in order for people in order to keep people. If you didn't hide or act to get them. Yeah. Wow. That's good. It's amazing. And it's also terrifying because it makes me wonder how many people have been in my life that were there because I didn't show them who I really was. Right. Well, I, and and that's, that's actually played out. I mean, because again, another thing I've been very honest about is when I started questioning my religious beliefs, I lost almost every single person. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, I guess I was showing them a false version of me right? and that enticed them into a relationship with me that wasn't based on truly knowing who I was. So on some level, I guess I have to accept some responsibility for that because I wasn't honest with myself or with them. Right. Although I thought I was, and I was truly trying to be that person. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. But if you're not honest with yourself or if you don't do the work to really you know, understand, understand those depths of your knowing, then there's right. no way that you can, um, let other people know who you really are. You exactly. Know, you're almost living in that false, um, facade as well. I mean, speaking for yes. myself, I know I absolutely was. Oh yeah. And, and I think the majority of us could probably say that we were all along. Yeah. I, again, hindsight being 2020, we sure. can look back now and say, okay, yes, this is where I messed up. And of course we hold ourselves to some level of responsibility, like I was just saying, but in reality, we shouldn't because we didn't know then. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's, you know, and that's the beauty of this book too, is that you, you see the, you know, you see those things, but it's not like a book to beat yourself up about. No, exactly. Yeah. It's a so book very positive. Absolutely. It's a, well, and she, like, I feel like she writes it in such a way that we can, um, for the most part, a lot of us can relate to her and we see her growth and that, that gives us strength, uh, inner strength to find our own growth. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so she had some questions in there and I, I wrote down and 
I'm wondering if I can ask you. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So one thing she says is why do women find it honorable to dismiss ourselves? <laughs> Again, I think we've been trained to be that way. I, I, think, I think so too. Yeah. Especially within, if, if, Again, I I can only answer for myself. And of course, myself has so much of a religious foundation that I look back and I say, because that was the expectation. Yeah. It was never supposed to be about me. It's always supposed to be about the other. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm supposed to be submissive to a husband. I'm supposed to be submissive to Christ. And and so because of that, I never get that opportunity to be who I am. So I have to dismiss myself Mm -hmm. or my ambition or, you know, my desires, if you will. Yeah. I think I somehow got that message too, that, you know, to think of myself was obviously selfish. Yes. And I mean, even sometimes in my, in my tears, if I was crying over something that I found sad or unfair, somehow that was late, you know, labeled in me as selfish. Right. Um, for the longest time, I would not even cry. I would not even cry because I thought you're being so selfish right now and you need to, you know, suck it up and, and, uh, think of that other person instead of just thinking of yourself. Right. But oh my goodness, you know, like in the last couple of years, I've, I literally, this sounds strange, but I literally have to tell myself it's okay to cry. And yeah. then when I do realizing that that's kind of a chance for me to, um, embrace myself to, um, start some healing where healing needs to take place. And, uh, so it's really, it's not selfish. It's actually, you know, um, it's cathartic. It, it is. It's, it's part of your self care that you, yeah. you listen to, um, you listen to that part of your heart. Um, so another question that she had was, why do we believe that what will thrill and fill us will hurt other people? It's hmm. a good but question. That- yeah, I thought that was a really interesting question. I mean, you could sit there for a while on that one. I mean, I think the immediate answer is, well, it's because it's not what thrills them. Right. And goes so saying about making other people happy, maybe. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know. And at the risk of getting into an area maybe that's a little iffy, um, one of the the main examples that comes to mind um, is is if you're talking about like sex. I mean, mm-hmm. for women, there has always been a certain expectation as with regard to sex, mm-hmm. you know, and it's out of line for you to ask for something differently or to express that you prefer something else, right? You know, that's somehow going to hurt your, your, you know, your husband or your partner's feelings. Like you don't right. want to make them feel less than, or like they didn't live up to something because you're asking for something different. So you just, you go along, you go along, right. You know, and you you don't ever express that part of yourself, but what a disservice to yourself. It because is you're out. <laughs> yeah. And also I feel like, do we really believe that I mean <laughs> that men are that fragile, you know? Um oh, to be fair, I think some are, but <laughs> well, especially <laughs> in that area of discussion. <laughs> but like I think of like I guess you would have to know them, but I, I think about in my own marriage, you know, Carl's not that fragile that I couldn't. Right. But there were so many years in there where I absolutely felt that way. Like I couldn't, I couldn't speak my truth. I couldn't right. say, this is what, this is what I need. This is what I want. 
without feeling like I was going to just dismantle his ego. So, or I think to me, it wasn't so much that it was more that he would look at me differently and think there was something wrong with me. Gotcha. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because like, we're talking about them coming from the same prescribed, you know, religious norms as well. And so if you were, again, this is a really off off topic subject, I think it (laughs) pertains to it, but, um, and maybe it's a lot of information, but (laughs) I think it's a valid conversation for most women because I think that we have a tendency to say, oh, if I say I like that or I want that, they're going to go, oh, what is wrong with you? Or what kind of, you know, slut are you? Or, you know, whatever, depending on whatever it is. And I'm not making any suggestions. I'm just simply saying that. And again, that's subjective. It could be anything is very simple or even very complicated. It doesn't matter. So maybe it's not so much about their ego as it is being afraid that they'll look at us differently. That's, that's valid. That's valid. I, I mean, or maybe it's some combination of the two. It be. Yeah. Um, I think that one sounds like it rings more true to me. Yeah. Uh, probably for more people. I think but you're right. For myself. <laughs> yeah. That was a concern for me. Now, of course, you know, I will say that through deconstructing my religious beliefs, of course, this is a subject matter that has come up. It, mm-hmm. With regard in conversation to my husband. And so we have had these discussions, you know, sure. and of course those fears are unfounded for the most part, mm-hmm. but you don't know that in the moment. Right. Well, and I think that goes, you know, when you're talking about being brought up in, in that evangelical religious bent that a lot of time, you know, where women are to be submissive and, right. you know, quiet then to have anything but that in the bedroom does make you feel like, Oh, what, how are they going to see me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Am, am yeah. I suddenly going to be, you know, some kind of harlot or something, right. <laughs> which is what I was, what I've always been told in religious realms, you know, that <laughs> exactly. But, <laughs> but it's interesting again, going back to wanting to get to the real you that you're still muting that part of yourself, mm-hmm. which is a very big part of us. Yeah. Um, although, you know, I think the, the, the stereotype for years and years is that it's not a big part of life for women. And so that's part of the problem. Um, mm-hmm. but it is and because not only does it pertain to just that moment, but it pertains to your, your self-confidence. Yeah. Uh, it pertains to, you know, your self-care, all of those things are impacted. Absolutely. And wrapped up into that subject matter. So it, it can be difficult. And so that's why I'm saying and she was so very uh, impressive to me in that she could step outside of those norms. I mean, and, and admit like, oh, hey, I mean, to the point of saying, hey, I'm attracted to another woman as opposed to, you know, just something much simpler than that with regard to sexuality. Right. So I, to me, it was so very brave. Um, and yet to her, she's just expressing herself. This is me. Right. There's nothing right. brave about it. This is just who I am. Right. And, and so I think that's what it comes down to is that we have to get to that point, that point in our life where we look at the things that we're afraid to express about ourselves and say, it's not brave. If I express these things, it's just me finally being me. Yeah. Because brave would seem to insinuate that we're still looking for some form of acceptance. Mm. Maybe that's what it comes down to is that when you finally stop looking for acceptance and just decide to be who you're going to be, you finally find acceptance because you get it from yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I got from reading this book is that that's where she is. 
Absolutely. She just, I feel like as a book goes on, you can just sense that strength in her. Yeah. She really has figured out who she is, but I don't feel like she ends the book with like, okay, so now I'm done and I've grown. Right. Right. (laughs) I feel like she sees this as a journey to always be, you know, striving to know herself better. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's something that I really want to strive to do as well. You know, every day. Yeah. Every day and not to be done. Um, but just keep finding those things about myself that are true. Um, yeah. Well, and authentic. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I think about that often. I think about, cause my son, my son made a comment to me the other day. He's like, you know, mom, it's interesting to, I, he meant this in the nicest way. He said, it's interesting to watch you go through midlife. Mm. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> And he's like, well, because a lot of people do wild outlandish things, you know, that end up hurting themselves. And he said, but look at all the things you're doing. He said, you you went back to school, you're getting a doctorate. You're in the gym every day. You're going to step on a stage and compete. And I'm 54 years old. That's a big deal. Um, You know, you're doing podcasts, you're writing a book. He said, you took this part of your life after raising your kids. And you said, now I get to do everything else I wanted to do. Oh, that's awesome. And he's right. Yeah. You know, but there, I mean, there's still places I'm holding myself back. And so I really have to start examining those things. Um, but yeah, made a lot of strides. And, and so you're right. It's that evolution. It's that waking up every day and saying, today I get to be authentically me. Right. And not care what anybody else thinks about it. Right. And what's that new? I mean, I love that your son saw all that in you. And yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a great, what a great compliment to you. Yeah, it um, was. But just also knowing that each day you have an opportunity to find something, something new and exciting, no matter how small or insignificant we right. might think that is. But I mean, that's the beauty of like, you know, of every day that we have. Um, and I need to for everybody. I know, and I, I know, and I need to start looking at that more often because I am more a creature of habit and I love you. <laughs> and so if I can get up at the same time and kind of have the same morning routine and go to work and kind of, you know, my day flows in the same way and, you know, and then wake up the next day and do it all again. Sometimes I think that, you know, I'm missing, you know, we talked about this last night on, on your other podcast with Carl, but right. So- you miss that small adventure and that small thing that you're knowing is trying to tell you that, um, that new and exciting, whatever that's out there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what a miscarriage of justice that is. Hmm. That's not the right terminology. (laughs) How sad that is. Yeah. I know what you're saying. You know that that we do miss that, and so I do. I, I think that conversation last night was very valuable because it it was a very good reminder that to live every moment in the moment. Yeah, um, and you're right. It's very difficult because I'm like you. I'm a very scheduled, organized, task list oriented person. I even take my vitamins in the same order every morning, and <laughs> at, at the same time, because like if I don't, sound like me. <laughs> yeah. Because I'll forget if I do something out of the ordinary, I'll, I'll cop to a little bit of obsessive compulsive disorder as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So I get a little nervous if I do things out of order because the anxiety ramps up, like I'm going to forget to do something. But every now and then I, I do make myself do something just a little bit different so that I control that. But I often get stuck in that, the tedium of the day and get to the end of the day and think, I forgot to feel good today. Oh, yeah. That's good. And, yeah. And that's sad though, too. We, we, no, I know. Never be. Like when I say that's good, I mean, I know what you meant. I'm so thankful that you decided to suggest this book. Thank you so much for that because this. Uh, thanks for reading one of those, Oh, for sure. Oh. This has been one of those books that I will go back and read over and over and over. And because I do that with some books and mm-hmm. this, this will be one of them because I just feel like there's so much in there and, and that I needed, I need to be reminded of it so often. Yes. So I appreciate that so much. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and I just love how, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the book, at the end of the day, you know, who you are is, is enough. It's enough. Yeah. And I I think that's just a beautiful message that um, is in the book. And that's something that we don't have to be ashamed of, of being who we are and continuing to grow and what we want to become. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the perfect way to, to kind of wrap it up and say at the end of the day, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And to try and remember it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) While we were talking, I still made more notes. So. Oh, good. (laughs) I have some too. I'll have to go back and read those later. We'll yeah, we'll have to read it all over again. So, um, but all right. So, in wrapping up, uh, again, thank you. This has been fantastic. I've enjoyed this conversation yes. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, go ahead and tell people where they can find your podcasts, and if you want to, you can throw a plug in there for Carl's book. I know he'd like that. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, if you're. If you are in the teaching world or, you know, even if you're not and you are interested in what whole brain teaching is, you can find that on Podbean. That's the only place we have it going so far. Maybe down the road, it'll it'll be going somewhere else. Um, Desert Sanctuary, I think you can find on all kinds of, um, I don't know what you call call them, platforms. Yeah, platforms. Yeah. And then same with Too Many Podcasters, which Michelle is a huge part of that. So... (laughs) Um, it, it's a great, we've had some really great dialogue. So yeah. to find me, I'm on Facebook, just, you know, and I don't have any books, but Carl does have a book. It's just came out called the tea shop. So you can definitely find that on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, which is just kind of another time in our life when, when, uh, we, Found, learned a lot about authenticity and being present. So yes, yeah, which of course played into this conversation. So I'm I'm glad yeah. you're mentioning it because yeah. I think that is a, a a good plug for his book as well because yeah, definitely something that we should all be indulging in much more often. Absolutely. So, but well, thank you, Laura. I appreciate you, you hanging out with me. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday, so neither one of us are in church. Uh-oh. Uh oh. <laughs> And I was like next door to one. So, oh, (laughs) well, that's all right. But so to everybody out there listening, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Bookish. Uh, If you're interested, we do have a Facebook group that you can be a part of. It's been kind of inactive lately. I need to get back in there and get busy. 
Um, but definitely uh, make your presence known there. Also, I did a Facebook Live bookish um, episode recently. You can find that on my Facebook page in which I presented a whole list of books that I want to read. And I'm looking for somebody to read them with me and discuss them because I don't like just speaking into the void by myself. Um, <laughs> so if you're interested in that, I'm going to post that, that, that list in the Facebook group uh, for Bookish. And if you're interested, you can let me know and we can hang out and share a microphone together. But go out, make it a great day. And if you have nothing else to do, no, even if you have lots of, else, lots of things to do, read a book. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, mm-hmm. Laura. Thank you. Thank you.